Yo, welcome to Thursday. Back half of the week. We're already laughing because the show is going to be awesome today. We're talking about the EV tax credit. We're going to break it down for you. And we're talking about that legendary Nordstrom tire return story. Legendary. Straight up. The people really want to know who I is and who I be. If you are sensing some level of competitive anxiety in this morning's show... You, my friend, are a I'm the real one feeling it. Just says Yeah, a that's why Kyle's face is a little red, because he had game face <laughs> during the countdown, because we are we decided that we're going to have a little on-air competition today, um, because I just found out moments ago that Kyle knows how to solve a Rubik's Cube relatively quickly. There's the messed up one. And so when we go through the first story of us breaking down the EV tax credit, Kyle is going to try to solve the Rubik's Cube before I can get through the story, which means two <laughs> things. Number one, if you're watching the story... You won't hear anything I say about EV tax credits, but if you're listening, you'll be fine. And number two, um, I think we're gonna. F- I, I'm not. I'm not even betting on myself, Kyle. If you know we'll Kyle, I, we'll you see. think it's gonna be pretty fast. But first, we have a few things to talk about before we get into the fun and games. Um, we started yesterday streaming our auto collapse podcast at noon how about that yeah yeah that's gonna be i think that's gonna be a good if you're you know noon eastern 11 central you know for the pacific people you got to do it during the morning meeting uh but <laughs> it'll <laughs> be great about time. that but most everybody else can kind of catch it around lunch and and you've got like a half an hour 40 40 minutes of uh just listening in on some really really cool conversations we launched uh the jim McKelvey podcast yesterday and today uh, we're we're going to be talking with Damon Lester, uh, president of NAMAD and owner of Nissan Abui, and talking a little bit about his origin story as well as breaking this barrier of trust that he sees uh, across the automotive industry between partners and OEMs and dealers and even customers. Uh, so just getting his perspective on on how that's playing into the automotive retail landscape. So you won't want to miss that. That's right. So you can get the podcast. It is live now if you want it, autocollabs.com or just search auto collabs on your favorite podcast platform or just check out the Asotu page on LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube at noon. LinkedIn preferred because that's kind of where we spend most of our time. So we like to engage with the community there. Um, what else? Hey, we just want to say Asotucon is shaping up to be a blizzard of fun. People are calling and texting nonstop being like, hey, can I get there? How can I get there? Industry partner tickets are this close to being sold out. So 11. Oh, we're down to 11, 11, 11, which Woo! really means if you're going, usually it's going to be two people buying at the same time. So we're probably somewhere between five and six purchases away from oh. you not being able to go. And we want you to go, especially if you listen to this podcast or watch the show. We want to make sure you get there. So go to asoducon.com, get your tickets, dealers. Uh, we still Let's have go. some tickets available for dealers. So um, $2.99, all the meals, all the entertainment, easy and easy out. It's three. I just gave everyone a discount. False advertising. <laughs> it's okay. It's Thanks. okay. Thanks, we're Kyle. good. We're good. But but we're we're delivering a thousand dollars of value. Actually, even more than that. Easily. Check Easily. out the site. Uh, we do want to thank so much uh, our presenting sponsor, Cars.com, for making it possible. We also want to like we have some cool activations going on. We said, we look, do. there's not no trade show booths allowed. We put put the smack down. No exhibit floor, no trade show booths. You have to think about active uh, engagements. And speaking of active engagements, I'm not going to do the segue button. But can't segue. Little that. company that's, that's called. It was. 
<laughs> an aptly named company called Active Engage actually sponsored the VIP lounge. So this is going to be an elevated VIP lounge where 100 people only are going to be able to be up there. It's got its own bar. It's got relaxed seating. Uh, maybe they'll be nice enough to get you a pass to it. But uh, they really stepped up to have some fun with the VIP lounge. And if you haven't checked out their TikTok you need to check out Active Engage's TikTok. It's one of the reasons we said yes to them as the VIP lounge sponsor. <laughs> because like, they can have some fun with this. Probably, can't have right? boring people <laughs> hosting the VIP lounge. Like, rule number one. So um, just want to thank them for doing that. We have some other people we're going to talk about. But um, we should, if you're Active Engage and you're listening, we need to make you a, we need you to make a pre Asotucon uh TikTok like your team Please. preparing to go to a SotoCon, make that video for us and we'll get it up here for everyone to enjoy and laugh out because y'all do an awesome job. Okay, let's get into the news. We have three stories to talk about today, but this first one is going to be all the sizzle. Kyle, shake the hands out. I just found out this morning that Kyle can actually solve a Rubik's Cube like one of those super nerds that he is. Um, Quickly. Now, he's not like one of those like competitive, like 10 second kids who can do a blindfold yeah, backwards I'm not, behind their yeah, back. I can't do the blindfold backwards. I saw someone yesterday uh, or a couple of days ago, they were juggling three of them no, and solved them, them all in four and a half minutes. Not a joke. Ridiculous. That That is next level. That's next yeah. level. And you taught me something. You said that most people like who are that level look at the whole cube and really know they can solve it in 18 moves. Yes. That's crazy. exactly. That's crazy. It's unbelievable. Oh, man, I just realized something. Okay, so here's the deal. The EV tax credit proposal in the news is like a little confusing. It's a little different. So I'm going to give you the bullet points and break it down and confuse it. And while Kyle is going to attempt to solve the Rubik's Cube, and the rule is I can't just like read bullet points. I have to actually go through it like I usually would go through it. And Kyle. And then I'll try and re I'm also going to be trying uh, to obtain and retain the information because I haven't read every bullet point. And then I'm going to quiz in. him at the end. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. All right. All right. All right. Best here we segment go. ever. Hold on. on. Do, we, I, do we need theme music? Uh, you know what? Let Let's not do the music. If, if we do yeah, the theme do the music, music, we won't be able to make the social media post we need to of this <laughs> when we're done. All right. So, all right. Here we go. Ready? It's all truly right. messed up. Just so everyone. Yeah, knows. yeah. All Mess right. it up a little more. Mess it up a little more. There you go. I gotta get the sound. Get it near the mic. The podcast people need to hear you messing it up. There we go. Okay. It's the Rubik's up. cube okay. is messed up, and. Here we go. So currently, the EV tax credit is $7,500 for the first 200,000 units that an OEM sells. It's being proposed and likely will pass is lifting the cap on the EV tax credit. So now there is no more, but there are also a lot of things in this bill that require regulation on where materials are sourced, the sticker price of the actual vehicle, and the income level of the purchaser. So basically 50% of all the minerals sourced for the battery uh, creation have to be extracted or processed in the US or a country that has a free trade agreement with the US. In 2024, it's gotta be 60% of battery components need to be made or assembled in North America. That increases to 80% in 2026. And by 2029, 100% of the battery has to be assembled in the United States. So really the point of this is to influence manufacturing to get into the US. So that's the, the sourcing component. The other component, the credit cap, the MSRP is capped at $80,000 for pickups and SUVs and $55,000 for all other vehicles, meaning if the vehicle is over that amount, then it's not eligible for the credit. So that includes a lot of EVs that are now currently overpriced or priced out of that market. 
but it also includes a lot of EVs that the majority of them that are priced within that price point. And it, again, incentivizes affordability. Um, the next thing, the credit cap for income. So if you have a joint income of over $300,000 a year in your family, you are not eligible for the credit. If you're single and you make over $150,000 a year, you also are not eligible for the credit. An interesting one too is that there's a $4,000 tax credit on the table for consumers buying certain EVs that are used. So a used EV tax credit or commercial vehicle. So Manchin, uh, Joe Manchin, that we're hearing so much about him, the swing vote in the Senate, um, he pushed back on people that were saying the credit is unstable or it's like too aggressive. And here's what he said. I'm going to read his quote. Um, he said, where is it? Where is it? Um, he says, I want to make sure we're extracting in North America, that we're processing in North America, and we quit relying on China. He's very adamant that I don't believe we should be building transportation modes on the backs of a foreign supply chain, and I'm not going to do it. We've never done that in America. We build our own cars. We build our own combustible engines. And we've done everything. Now, all of a sudden, we can't. So Manchin is really saying he wants this bill to believe in America's you know, ability to provide the transportation needs of itself and not rely on other countries. And he says with this big shift, the battery technology, he's all for it. He wants to move it forward, but he says we have to do it in a responsible way. So the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, which includes the Detroit 3, Volkswagen and Toyota, they did express concern that the EV credits uh, limit will in uh, the income limit. Oh! He got it. He got it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I <laughs> Brian Ortega move. says, I, I'm not done yet. All right. All right. All right. I'm not. Oh, <laughs> Brian Ortega says he's not hearing one word that I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not either because I'm trying not to concentrate on Kyle. <laughs> That's why we haven't had a bubble. Okay. So almost. I'm almost done. So maybe Kyle's not almost done. So, so back to the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, which includes the Detroit 3. So it's Detroit 3, Volkswagen, and Toyota. They express concern that the, the income limit, meaning like certain families or households that make over the certain income limit, that 300000 for joint filers or 150000 for single, that it's going to sideline a lot of potential buyers when in the beginning early adoption phase of EVs is going to be more essential than ever, more critical than ever. So I think if you take these three considerations, number one, that it's going to require um, batteries to be sourced, materials to be sourced, or I, I skipped this part, or recycled and produced in the U.S. It's going to be uh, cause them to have to be assembled and manufactured in the U.S. over time. Number one in the bill. Number two in the bill. Uh, number two. This is number two. Number two in the bill. Um, the vehicle can only be costs a certain amount of money. So eighty thousand dollars for trucks and SUVs, fifty five thousand dollars for sedans, and the household income level of $300,000 for joint filing or $150,000 for single. Those are the three components of the new proposed EV tax bill. Here's the takeaway. This EV transition is a game of chess. It's moves setting up for other moves. It's not checkers, right? It's all these things at play. So we would say to you still, control the things that you can control, right? Pay attention to as much as you can. And that really is going to be the continued prescription for success in this EV future. But now hopefully you understand the credit bill a little bit more. And hopefully Kyle isn't done with his Rubik's Cube so that um, I can win this one. I don't think I won. I'm not done. He's not done. What happened? 
Uh, so on <laughs> the, the comments, layer, the comments in in LinkedIn, people are like, "I don't hear a word that Paul's saying." People are talking about the suspense is real. Um, so, and then Charles McCann comes in with actually he's paying attention to the story. Thank you, Charles. He says very unlikely as long as we're using lithium as far. He's thinking he's talking about mining and extracting uh, from the earth because we don't have a lot of lithium here in the U.S. So, how far did you get, Kyle? Hold it up. Uh, I'm very close. Uh, th- yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about uh, how close I was able to get. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not very easy to do this when you're not like a professional. <laughs> and um, you're under pressure. YouTuber. And I'm I'm barking in your ear. But just hey, barking. This is just like this is mess. real life. Yeah. No, no movie magic here. We're going to try this again on a less important story in the future. <laughs> All right. All right. See, now he's stuck on it. He can't pick his head up until done. the room. Done. Okay. Got it. Got applause. it. Got it. Got it. We're moving on. I think that <laughs> uh, that educating people on this particular uh, thing is very, very important. It's a generic And statement. I will have to say that the credit <laughs> caps locking out high income, uh, high income people from these tax credits who are the primary purchasers of early adoption new technology and locking down uh, the total cap, the the cap on the MSRP are the most poignant pieces of this uh, because we're seeing higher MSRPs on these EV vehicles and your uh, and and people that are um, uh, high income earners are the early adopters. So there's my recap. We're way too long into this. I did finish the Rubik's Cube. I had to do it twice because I missed one move on the first time and we're rolling. That's how life is. There's a, there's a life, there's a life lesson in there. It's so a life. All right. We're going to move on. Speaking on to moving on. Segway. We'll break it up for a second. Mm. Yeah. I got to get those jitters out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So GM, Google, and Pepsi, as well as a lot of other um, high market cap companies are boosting their investments in fixed things, capital expenditures as they cost, which signals a confidence in the future of their business. It's giving the markets confidence because in times when companies are hesitant to spend and they hoard their cash, it sends the wrong signals to the market and people get scared. But GM, Google, and Pepsi are just three examples of companies who are actually spending money to invest in the future because they really believe that business is going to continue to be strong and pick up. Um, you know, GM CFO Paul Jacobson talked about expanding the electric fleet. And obviously, we know in the industry, there have been tons of investments in uh, EV manufacturing and infrastructure. So the spending actually rose from 1.5 billion to 2.1 year over year. A um, couple other yeah. companies doing that too, Kyle. Yeah, no. So Alphabet is uh, who, who, if you know, is Google's parent company. Um, owns things like YouTube and, and a lot of different infrastructures and a big uh, and the, and they do a lot of investment as well in other startups and tech startups. Are leaning into uh, things like servers tech infrastructure, noting that uh, with the current global outlook, uh, global economic outlook, the strategy to invest even in technology and computer science allows to build products into the future. So it's just another look at like capital expenditures going to things that support future builds. And it's interesting because what we're seeing in, in across industries, including the retail automotive space, is that people recognize that, you know, this this kind of like fix through for all the sun is shining is also invest the capital while it's there. Yeah. Uh, because when you have that capital to invest in and not just like set aside a nest egg, you actually get the opportunity to go quicker. You know, I've talked about this to a lot of people um, is that 
is that what happens typically out of any turn, any sort of economic downturn or particularly a recession is the people that press in during the recession and have the staying power to come out of it actually accelerate quicker, uh, quicker. So when you look at like 2009, 2010 and some of the companies that were really able to get their things in line in 07 and 08, they actually were some of the highest accelerants in technology and retail. Um, so these companies, I think, understand that. They have the staying power to make it through, and they're making the investments right now to see themselves on the other side of any economic downturn. Yeah, I mean, that, that principle works in brand marketing as well. You know, we see Period. study after study after study. Com- companies who don't, like, diminish or obliterate their ad spend in downturns are the ones that disproportionately are ahead coming out ahead because during all that time, they're just scooping up market share, right? Sales might not reflect it as far as sales records and year over years, but when they come out of it, you just see that they're two and three times further ahead. Another one of these companies is Pepsi, where they are investing in digital technology that makes sure that machines are stocked properly um, and that they're stocked. So they're mm. really, and if you think about it, this technology like lets them know when vending machines are empty, when short store shelves are empty. So it just cuts out a lot of labor needed to check on things and allows them to make sure their products are ready when a consumer is ready to purchase it without all the labor of having to take inventory physically and kind of pass messages back and forth. So um, really- Luckily for Pepsi, because they're not Coke, they only have to check those things every eight weeks. So the server costs aren't that high. Uh, <laughs> that's a, I mean, that, I got him. that's because you live in the south i mean i'm are you that's i'm true. assuming you're a coke guy right you're the well south i mean guy. i i'm kind of either but definitely coke and in the south like you're like what kind of coke products do you yeah, have right. and you just expect if someone says pepsi to look at them side <laughs> exactly that's my point that's my point northeast is a little different i personally um i'm a coke drinker but my kids like pepsi i don't know what went wrong but um you know i mean i guess it makes sense pepsi's target market really is like Pepsi doesn't have a brand. Their brand is whatever poppy, whatever's popular in culture at the moment. That's Pepsi's yes, brand. Exactly. All right. This last yep. story I'm so excited for. When I came across this this morning, it triggered all these feelings of just like business and customer service and nostalgia all at one time. So the, as the story goes, and if you're in the industry, you're listening to this, you've probably heard the infamous legendary story of Nordstrom's customer service being so great that one time a consumer came in to return tires to a Nordstrom and they gave him his money back, even though obviously they don't sell tires and he didn't buy them there. But they're so obsessed with making a good customer experience that they actually refunded this guy for tires. And I was like, oh, that, that's good. And I, I think I always assumed it was probably like urban legend. Well, well, yeah, you th- like you're like somehow the Chick Fil A story, right? And and or the Nordstrom story or the Apple story started as like, yeah, you know the you know the guy came in with a tire shirt and they you know with a tire on the shirt and they tire refunded shirt. it. And all the of a sudden, like five shirt. years later, it's, it's like tire. he had four tires that were eighteen years old, and that you know it's like the big <laughs> right. fish story. But this really one. Old was actually true because the president of Pete uh, of Nordstrom, Pete Nordstrom recently hosted an episode of the Nordy pod. I love that. (laughs) Talk about brand build. All right, here we go. Next. Um, he interviewed a gentleman named Craig Trounce, the sales associate that was behind the story. Now Craig is no longer with Nordstrom. He's the manager of, um, the Phoenix contact centers for Alaska airlines, by the way. Uh, and by the way, yeah, he is on LinkedIn. And he does have 30 followers, and I may be 31. 
He's got 30 followers. Oh, he's about to have like 29 more right now. So he's going to be up to 60 by the end of the day. Uh, but the interview came out and uh, the, the the story goes like this. Um, I, I, we should probably read his okay. actual commentary on it, right? You, 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 you want to be Craig? You want to be Craig? I'll be the customer. <laughs> And I'll be the customer and the managers. This is a three-character story. So go ahead. You be Craig. So, uh, yeah. So Craig uh, said, I, I, I came up. I asked him, hey, Mr. Customer, is there anything that I can help you out with? And the customer <laughs> said. <laughs> oh, actually, I don't we think. We can't do it. We can't do it. We have to rehearse this. He We're said, help good. you out with. <laughs> And so, okay, okay. So he came up and he said to the customer like, hey, I think you're in the wrong place. And this is the texture of the story that I didn't realize. And Mr. Trout says, I did try him to tell him that, you know, Northern Commercial was the previous tenant of the building doesn't exist anymore. And like, as you can see, we're a clothing retailer. So the guy did actually buy the tires in the building. It used to be a place that sold tires. And so he came out and... He's the guy said, this is, this is really typical kind of like old, old, I don't know. This is the building I bought them in. And they said, if there's anything ever wrong with them, I could bring them back. So here they are. (laughs) (laughs) The, the like irony in two-year-old tires trying to be returned is just, there's one layer there there, there, and then they're at a Nordstrom. And then some guy has the guts to say, yeah, and I bought them at the store that used to be here. And I recognize this as a new store is quite wild. Uh, So uh, Mr. Trout says that his manager the whole time was kind of watching him from the wings, uh, looking out and uh, from the back stock for the men's shoes. And he realized really quickly, like, my manager should be coming out here to help me, but he's just kind of nodding in empowerment, like you're headed in the right direction. So he keeps, Mr. Trounce keeps going and uh, and and takes the refund. He actually, interestingly enough, called a local fire Firestone dealer. So kind of did his research, like similar to a car dealer would call like the Harley store, calls them and said, hey, what would these tires be worth? A couple of years later, gave him all the radius and that type of stuff. They said 25 bucks. And so- uh, because it was without a receipt. And so the man got his refund that day. And uh, so it actually happened. The story goes down in infamy, but talk about a consistent brand vision that Nordstrom has like laid the groundwork for over years and years and years that an employee then became empowered by his manager who didn't come in and try and take over the situation, turn the customer away and boom, like, a legendary story that attributes a legend something to a legendary brand that allows others to focus their employees and their and, and their customer experience on on what they did. You think in, they, incredible? You think they got their hundred bucks back over I time? I think they did. Think I think they, they hundred bucks it cost them that. to do that thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I mean, adjusted for so inflation, smart. it was probably like four hundred bucks. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> what one little cool thing that was in the article um, by the employee entrance in a lot of Nordstrom stores is a tire and you know some of them have signs that say like create your tire story today right and it just is a reminder so you know truth or myth that story is true and um that is something that we all have the ability to set in motion today across the automotive industry and it doesn't take a lot but empower your people as much as you can think outside the box and i know when this happens like it can really change the dynamic of the automotive industry and the perception of it, right? If a thousand of these instances happen every year, how many people are actually going to hear about it, right? 
Millions, Come probably. On. Millions, Come on. probably. It's, it's like a brand build lesson. Yeah. So we have to build the brand of retail automotive together. We're trying to do that from our end. We need you to do it from your end. So whatever it is today, think of one person you can just make an incredible fan. Kyle's going to get back to solving that Rubik's Cube, and maybe I'll learn how to do it too. No, I'm not going to learn that. <laughs>